stand for the reading of the word from Ruth chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here. It's so good for us all to be together today. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was an arborist, and, and he told me, because we had a palm tree in our front yard, and, and I was kind of bragging about how awesome our palm tree was. It was one of the tallest in the neighborhood. Yeah, you could find our house by just saying like, hey, find the palm tree in the neighborhood and just keep following, you'll get there. And I was bragging about the palm tree, and he said, you really shouldn't brag about palm trees. And I said, why not? And he said, evolutionary-wise, they're like the most basic tree you can imagine. They're just like a bunch of straws that have been bound together by you know, wax or whatever, the kind of resin, and they just grow up and up and up and up until they can't do it anymore. Ah, he said, but deciduous trees are much more advanced, much more esteemed. A deciduous tree every year, all it has to do is build one more ring. One more ring. In fact, you probably already know this, the, the middle of that kind of tree is, is functionally dead. You can just take a knife and just scroll around the edge of a tree, and if you get about a half inch in, you kill the tree. It's over. Because the living part of the tree is that narrow edge inside the bark that wraps around. That's how the tree gets life. The tree, the life of a tree is in its roots. It must carry that up the trunk to the leaves to get chlorophyll and yada yada. It all goes back down again. Deciduous trees, now those are nice trees. So quit bragging about your palm tree, he said. And I think there's something about this that we can talk about. We have in this series been taken to a couple of vistas in the book of Luke of the story of Jesus' ancestry. One of those vistas was to start at the very beginning and see <coughs> the first one, Adam, and the life of, that God gave Adam, the desire just to have more relationship. What God wants from Adam is just the chance to love more things and to be loved in return. Last week we saw the story and we paused at the vista to see the wrestling of Jacob as he struggles with God and he struggles with his life and he struggles for meaning and identity apart from God and then realizes the only place to find that is God himself. The last place that a Jacob is mentioned in the scripture is in Hebrews. And the picture the author paints there is that Jacob is worshiping God on his staff. As David so clearly pointed out last week, God is faithful. And so this week, as we continue our journey, we're going a few more rings out to the story of Obed and Ruth and Boaz. Now this one is, it's joy this week, and so this is a happy story, but it's also the wrong season <coughs> Excuse me. 
Wrong season to tell this story. The story of Ruth happens at the harvest time. It happens when, uh, when the, the grains are coming in. And you know what this feels like. It should be around fall fest when the air is first becoming crisp and the sun begins to change its color at the end of the workday and there's that smell and the crunch of the leaves underfoot. That's the season where we should be telling the story of Ruth. But instead, we're going to tell it at Christmas, so let's talk about what Christmas is like as it connects with Ruth. Because honestly, Ruth is a love story. And there is nothing in this season like the Hallmark Channel if you need good love stories. In fact, if you were to turn it on today, I think you could watch 24 hours around the clock love stories on Hallmark. Like, I just, I think that's all they have. They have an entire warehouse full of them so that you can just watch them one after another after another. You can do this on Netflix too. In fact, if you Google on Netflix or search on Netflix, you know, holiday Christmas rom-com, you get pages and pages of these little pictures of the different movies you can choose. And it's difficult to choose the right one because they all look the same. They all have the same picture of a hopeful, beautiful young woman looking off into the distance. The titles change, but who cares? Like Christmas in the city, Christmas in the country, Christmas coming home, Christmas in love, Christmas out of love. It does not matter. They're all the same. We watch them anyway. I can tell you exactly the plot of these Christmas movies. I don't even have to have, I've, I could, any of them, I could tell you what's going to happen. She comes back from the city and she's carrying with her some dude that she's really not fit for. They're not right together. But she's coming back to her hometown where she runs into, just on accident, it's a happenstance, that old flame that she used to have. Now he's doing something that's a very manual, manly labor. <laughs> he's a Christmas tree farmer, right? He's the doctor that cares for the, you know, the children in the town. He's the veterinarian that makes sure that all of the, <coughs> man, I'm choking, all of the horses are safe and well and worn. And that old joker that she brought with him always forgets her birthday. That's why he's no good. He always forgets that she's allergic to peanuts and continually buys her like snicker bars as gifts and she can't eat them. He's insensitive and he's too wrapped up in his work, Right? But after that chance encounter with the old flame, there's a conversation, and she remembers. And he doesn't give her a Snickers bar. He gives her a Milky Way, and it's good. And there's sparks, and she moves forward. And then there's that awkward moment. It's this tragedy that happens about 45 minutes into the film every single time. It's 45 minutes. Move your Netflix tracker to 45 minutes and tell me that I'm wrong. Um, he gets caught in a completely innocent but compromising position. He's accidentally over at his ex's house to help fix the horse, you know, to make sure it's kind and clean. And she just stumbles against him, and they kiss. And that's the moment where the girl walks in. Oh, He's on the phone talking, and she misunderstands the conversation. It's a totally innocent conversation, but it totally sounds like he is absolutely not interested in her. He's not talking about her. He's talking about the horse, but she doesn't know. <laughs> and then there's the montage, because there's those happy moments that they all had together, and it's just like you rewind them, but they're doing them by themselves. They walked through the park, and it was a snowy, wonderful moment. It was very romantic. Now she's walking through the park, and it's raining on her, and it's terrible. 
He wants to enjoy that Milky Way bar that he got her, but he can't eat it by himself. That would be terrible, and so he throws it away. And then after a brief state of sadness, there is a reunification, and love is spoken. Love is affirmed, and they live happily ever after. Now, I ask the question, why in the world would you want to watch a romantic Christmas comedy if you know exactly what's going to happen? You know the plot. I can tell you within five minutes, where is the girl going to end up and who is she going to end up with? I can tell you the poor louse that's going to end in tears away because he was no good for her anyway. I can tell you the wise friend that's going to make the move that gets them together. You can tell it all in the first five minutes. Why would you want to watch this movie? And the answer is, of course, because we know how it ends. We want to experience it together. So let me tell you this Christmas story in the book of Ruth. There's four chapters. <clears throat> in chapter one, it begins with tragedy. Disaster struck, strikes. Naomi and her husband are caught in a famine and they're forced to move to Moab with their two sons. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, now this is the time of the judges. It's when there's a lot of lawlessness happening here. There's a lot of things going on that are difficult to control. And so when a drought occurs, you don't have a lot of choices. And if you don't have family, you gotta move. That's the only way you survive. And so Elimelech takes his family and they travel to Moab. Moab is the ancient enemy of Israel. In fact, Moab is constantly at, at a conflict with Israel. And so they're going to a dangerous place. But sometimes the dangerous place is the only place that's safe in a very risky situation. It's the best, it's the best possible of all terrible choices. And while they're in Moab, not only is that a disaster of the famine, but also Disaster strikes again. Naomi's husband dies tragically. And her sons, who are married now to Moabite women, also die 10 years later. And this poor widow is left and she's desperate. There's a reason why in the Old Testament that God commands you to take care of widows and orphans. James says that in the New Testament. Take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And that's because they are the most vulnerable people in society. Because there is no safety offered for them. And there's little chance that they can make uh, provision for themselves. And so Naomi just, she's just trying to survive. She's just trying to do what she can. And so she says, look, I'm going to go back to Israel. The drought's over. Um... But you, my two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, you guys, you stay here. You're still young. You're going to have a chance to have uh, new husbands. You're going to have a chance to have successful lives. You stay here. I'll go. It'll be okay. And Orpah says, okay. But Ruth in the text says she clings to Naomi. And she says this text, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And that is such a statement of covenant loyalty that we use it in the most terrible situations. We use it at weddings. 
This is not about a husband and a wife. This is a daughter-in-law who has no obligation to her mother-in-law saying, I am going to stay with you until we die. And they get back to Israel. And the suffering that Naomi has endured leaves people asking the question, is this Naomi? And you've seen that when someone has endured incredible physical stress or had to go through illness or just a a, a terrible disaster. It, It changes the way they look. It ages them prematurely. And so maybe it's partially that Naomi looked different, but also it's that Naomi's spirit was different. She says, don't call me by my name anymore. Just call me bitter. God has dealt me a hand that I could not bear. In chapter 2, bitterness moves to hope. Naomi and Ruth have found kind of a way, and, and one of the ways that they're going to survive, they just happen to come back, and it's, it's, it's harvest time for the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out and, and begins to just gather the leavings that are left over. And, and, and around the edges of the field. Now, in God's law, it says that the landowners are to leave the edge of your field for the poor. You're not supposed to gather all the way over. Just leave a little bit for those that don't have any land. And the fact that Boaz does this tells us something about his character. Because even though it's in the law, that's still lost revenue. And not everybody's going to be so faithful as to not collect all of that grain. And Ruth meets Boaz. After Boaz greets his workers and asks, who is that? She's clearly somebody important. And the worker says, she's been working all day. She hasn't even taken a break yet. Oh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. And so Boaz comes in and greets her and asks her, hey, look, why don't you stay only here? Don't go anywhere else because what you're doing is kind of a dangerous thing to be out in a field with just a bunch of farm workers, field workers. In fact, you stay close to us. And if you need water, you can use our water can. And if you need to rest, you can rest over here. And she asks him, what have I done to deserve such kindness? In the ancient Near East, coming out of a famine, every ounce of grain is the difference between starvation and hunger or hunger and full. Why would Boaz give up for this woman? After all, she's just some Moabite lady. But Boaz responds, no, 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 you're more than that. You are the one that's faithful to his kinsman, his kin's widow. And so he tells her to stay, that this would be a safe place for her. And he even tells the workers, just leave her a little something. Bundle it up, and if you would have put it in your bag, just drop it and let her get it. And Ruth comes back and tells Naomi. And you could imagine if this was the Christmas movie, there's a glint in Naomi's eye. Naomi understands what's going on, even if we don't see it. And Ruth doesn't see it. Chapter 3, it's, it's harvest time. Ruth tells Naomi, I'm sorry, Naomi tells Ruth to take off the mourning clothes of the widow and, and, to, and to wash her face, spray a little perfume and put on some lipstick. 
And she sends Ruth to the threshing floor to find Boaz. After you've gathered all the grain, you take the grain to the threshing floor. It's a wide, hard pan where there's a good wind breeze. And it was so much work that people would often sleep there. In fact, they found little huts on the edges of threshing floors, one to protect the food that you just gathered, also because you don't want to go all the way home because tomorrow is going to be a big day. And so after everyone else has fallen asleep and they've had a chance to rest, what follows in the text is what the ancient Near East would consider a wedding proposal. The Ruth approaches Boaz and says, you want to get married? And there is some serious risk here. I mean, if this was the romantic Christmas movie, this would be the proposal that's in public. This would be the one at the Christmas party, right? This would be at the ball game. And you've seen, I know I've seen, all of those TikTok videos where someone gets down on one knee and pulls out that ring and the other person just walks away. There's some risk here because Boaz could say, look, I, I mean, I was just being kind to you, right? I mean, this is what God calls me to do, but there's, there's nothing here. This isn't, this isn't what you think it is. No, no, no. But Boaz calls her a woman of noble character. That, by the way, is the same line used in Proverbs 31 about the woman of noble character and what she's like. It is, it's the epitome of not only wisdom, it's the epitome of, of, of femininity. And imagine how these first hears, ears would hear this, that a, a Moabite woman's getting called the best of the best. And before the break of day, Boaz sends Ruth back with more food than she can carry. And Naomi says, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't rest until things are settled. Chapter 4, The Hitch. There's always a problem in a romantic comedy. There's always that problem right at the end that could upset the whole cart. And in our situation, it's the kinsman redeemer. You see, Boaz is, is the kinsman redeemer. And, and basically, again, this relates to the law of, of Moses. And, and if, if there is a person that's a widow that does not have an heir, then, then a person in the, the man's family can step in and become kind of a surrogate father for his, his deceased brother or deceased uh, kin's heir. And, and, and that way, the land stays where it was supposed to be because the land is the identity of who you are as an Israelite. And, and so Boaz can be the kinsman redeemer. He can be the one that saves Naomi and saves Ruth. And this love story is going to play out, except he remembers, oh, there's somebody else that's closer. And all of a sudden, again, everything is at risk, and it all might come crashing down, except it's not on Ruth's side to, to be courageous in what he's, she's about to do. It's on Boaz's side. And so the next morning, he goes to the town gate, and he gathers a bunch of leaders. He needs 10 witnesses for the conversations that is about to occur. And he goes up to this guy, this kinsman redeemer, and the text doesn't even tell us what his name is. We don't even care who he is. But the text says that he approaches him and says, hey, Naomi's selling her land. Do you want to buy it? And the guy, aware of a sudden opportunity, sees a little glint in his eye and says, that sounds good. I'll buy it. I'll take more land. But, Boaz adds, there's one little string attached. 
Her name is Ruth, and she comes with the deal. And the guy backs down. He says he doesn't want to endanger his own estate, and it's not clear in the text what he's talking about there. It could be that, that it's too expensive to buy the land and take care of Naomi and take care of Ruth, and so he can't afford it. It could, it could be that he doesn't want to dilute his own children's inheritance with more kids um, through Ruth, and so he doesn't want to do that either. It doesn't really matter the situation. It just matters that he is out and Boaz is in. And if I were making this a Christmas romantic movie, this is what I would do. I would, I would close in on Boaz's face and I, as he says, but there's one catch. And then I would turn it back to this know-nothing, no-name dude as he considers this and then cut to Ruth. And what she sees in the distance is a person walking toward her. Is it Boaz? Is it no name? It's Boaz! And everybody celebrates because they get married and, and Ruth has a baby boy and his name is Obed. And this story exists, it ends exactly where we hoped it would. Gigi, Naomi, holding Boaz, singing the songs that she sung to her, song, her sons. And her name is changed from bitter to blessed. That's exactly where you want this story to end. The last shot of our Christmas romantic comedy. Naomi singing that song to her little baby. It's interesting that God is faintly absent from this story. He doesn't show up to change things. There's no burning bushes. There's no um, towers that go up and down with angels. There's no conversations about what have you done. There's not even angels that kind of guide and direct things around to steer the problems out. It's, it's, it's Ruth and Naomi and Boaz just being faithful. And maybe that's part of the message of Ruth, that God uses people to do kingdom work. God uses people to make the story come out right. People just like you and me. People who have suffered tragedy beyond what they can bear and people who do the right thing even if they could get away with the wrong thing because they have character. Ruth is, this, is loyal to her mother-in-law and she meets a man who is generosity and integrity in the flesh. These are people who just live out in the ordinary, mundane details of life and along the way they find things like hope and peace and sometimes in the story, even joy in the most unlikely of places. And so maybe there's a little bit of Advent here after all. And maybe you and I can find a little bit of joy in this story. Because my guess is that some of us are living in chapter one this Christmas. Some of us are living where it feels like everything has been taken away and it's all ruined and there's no way that there could be any hope or joy coming out of this story. Don't call me Naomi, just call me bitter. Another of us are living in the middle of this story. 
middle of the story where it seems like you've met someone that can do the right thing. You've met a person of character where everybody else around you has been sleazy and dishonest. You finally meet someone that seems like they might be somebody. And other of us are living at the end of the story when joy arrives, like Naomi holding her grandbaby, singing that song. The truth is, is that people of character who find faithfulness just to be a way of life, not an extraordinary experience, but just this is what we do day after day. People who read stories to their kids and try to be honest at work and try to do the right thing and and try not to swear in traffic. The people that, that are just trying to do the best they can. Those are the people that God uses to bring about the story of Jesus Christ. People like you and people like me. All right. If Ruth was my directorial debut for the Christmas romantic comedy, this is how I would end it. I would, I would add this kind of epilogue of sorts. The last scene of the movie before the credits roll is Naomi holding that baby, singing the song that she sung to her boys. And then, then we fast forward a little bit, and it's Obed that's playing as a child, kind of transforms, we'll use a little, you know, CG, to Obed as a man, except this time it's Ruth that's singing the nursery songs to Obed's son, Jesse. And he's singing, she's singing Naomi's songs, and, and there's Naomi kind of in the background, and, and she's ancient in her rocking chair, and she looks on with this contented smile. And then baby Jesse grows up and has sons of his own, and the credits roll. But... If you were to stay in the theater, in my movie, (laughs) past the end of the credits, there would be this little stinger at the end. The stinger fades into color, and it's a birthday party. And Jesse's youngest son is turning six, and in his hands is placed, uh, his father places a gift, and it's wrapped in cloth. And the boy opens the gift excitedly and then holds it above his head triumphantly for all to see it's a sling. And you hear, right before the screen goes to black, his mother say, don't you dare use that in the house, David. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be the most awesome romantic Christmas call. I would watch that every year. Big things. God can do big things. Since the story of Adam, God has done big things through the faithfulness of normal people, living out quiet lives of character and loyalty. And you know what they find? Sometimes they find joy. And maybe that's what Christmas, maybe that's what Advent is all about. I want to remind you of uh, two things uh, before we uh, have our benediction. 
prayer team, go ahead and come forward while I'm talking. The first is that our uh, Christmas Eve uh, s- uh, schedule is coming up very quickly. I want to invite you to be a part of this. It's at 5 o'clock every December 24th. Doesn't matter the year. It's always December 24th. Um, and I want you to invite you to come to this. I also want to invite you to invite your friends and neighbors to come too. If you have family that's coming in from town, bring them to our Christmas Eve service. This is going to be the perfect opportunity for them to get a taste of Highland, encounter what we're like, and just celebrate Advent. Uh, our Christmas schedule that's coming up over the next few weeks on December 4th through the 18th, Bible class at 9, one worship service at 10. Uh, on Christmas Day, We're going to have one service at 11, no Bible class. Uh, Our nursery will be open but unattended, so you can use it. But if you leave your kids there, it becomes Lord of the Flies. Uh, The same on January 1st, uh, we'll have one service at 11. Would you please stand for our benediction? Our prayer team is going to become available. Maybe they're not here today. Maybe uh, I didn't hear that part. Our prayer team is going to be available for you. If you'd like to come forward at the end of the service, they would love to pray with you, talk with you. Um, Whatever you need, uh, a cup of coffee later this week, they want to be here for you, especially if you found yourself in that place that Naomi found herself in where she said, just call me bitter. That's not where God wants to end the story. So this week, may you find joy. May you find joy in ordinary faithfulness. May you find joy in the big things that God is doing. May you find joy in the blessings of children that you see around you. May you find joy every day as you go with God. Go in peace.